All right, here we go. We're going to rock and roll today. Uh, I'm sorry I was getting my face makeup on. That's why we were a little dark for a moment there. Thank you all for dealing with me. Thank you. Look at all those Spurs students. I'm thankful for our Spurs student ministry. How about worship today? There we go. I hear some excitement. There we go. Hey, so really, really, it's an honor and a privilege to be in the house of the Lord today because, you know, as David talked about, we go to the Lord's house with rejoicing and thanksgiving, right? And so what better place to be excited to be than in the house of the Lord? So I'm thankful to be here. It's an honor and a privilege to get to be here. You know, every Sunday when I get to come in and see this sun coming up on the way in or the sun has just come up, I always say, man, I can't believe we get to do this. Like, I can't believe we get to do this. I can't believe that here at the Vine Church we're down the pike of 100 Sundays here at the YMCA. It seems like that first Sunday we were just loading up that U-Haul and trying to figure out how to, at my house, trying to figure out how to get things up and down a ramp. I remember when we first loaded the trailer up, we were trying to get things rocking and rolling there. So I'm so thankful for that. I can't believe it's been two years uh, of Jesus doing what only he can do. I can't believe that he's allowed us to be a part of over $60,000 going to the local church around the world, going to gospel-centered nonprofits. And I know that you may not think that that's a lot, but to me that's huge. That's huge because it's not just a dollar figure. It is lives for eternity. And, you know, the reason we do what we do every week is we want us each to grow to be exactly who Jesus called us to be. And so that's why I love this series called Alter Ego. So I'm going to get you to challenge yourself here in a second. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, I'm starving. Now look at the other neighbor and say, didn't you just eat? See, that's how I roll, right? Because we always have food at 9.30, right? So make sure that you have plans to come here and hang out with us at breakfast. But that's what we're going to be walking through in Alter Ego. And we've been rallying around this verse through this series as we discover exactly who God created us to be. And Luke 9.25 is the verse that we're going to rally around over these next few weeks. And it says this, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very soul? Another version, uh, very self, excuse me, another version says their very soul. Because what we're going to unpack in this series is we are not the labels that are placed upon us. We're not a dollar in the bank account. We're not a car that we drive. We're not a street address that we live on. We're not a checkbox on a form. We're not even who they say we are. We're not even the person sometimes that we're disappointed with when we look in the mirror. We're so much more. We were created to be so much more. We have a true identity. And what we're going to lean into is how do we become exactly who God created us to be. So today, we're going to continue to do that through alter ego, and we're going to talk about starving. Good times, right? Has anybody ever just been hungry, like hungry, hungry, just starving? We've got a lot of unhungry people. Man, we're wealthy. Uh, really? So, like, let me ask you this. How many, time, how many of you have ever been to the grocery store hungry? Had that go? Probably you were like me, bad. You filled the shopping cart. Now, I'm not talking Sam's or Costco at lunchtime. That's why you pay for a membership. You know what I mean? Like, how many have ever been kicked out from taking too many samples? Anyway, so, so that being said, if you've ever gone, if you've ever done that, that was a long time ago. Don't worry about it. I might be hanging up on the wall there. It's okay. Uh, so, that being said, when you go to the grocery store hungry, you end up getting everything you don't need, right? Like everything looks good. Like when you get there, if you're like me, I go and everything I came to get, I forget, right? Like I get everything else. Like I'm, I'm just everything that's happening. And so you know a little bit of my, my story is I come from a retail background. And believe it or not, you don't know that the psychology and the sociology of the store is set up for you to go in being hungry. 
Like my job was for me to place the thing that you came in for as far away as it possibly could be. Prime example, where's the milk in a grocery store? It's always in the very back. For those of you that buy milk, it's always in the very back, even your almond milk. And the reason is I would want you to see everything possible on the way to get that milk. So that way you would fill your shopping cart up. And believe it or not, we live in a world that sets us up that way. We live in a world where the enemy will place everything in front of us except the one thing we need to be exactly who Jesus called us to be. He'll put every little bump, he'll put every little stop, he'll throw every little thing, he'll put every little snack cake, he'll put every little goodie in the way. Like right when you're dieting, have you ever noticed like right when you go on a diet, it's like, man, that's where the Christmas tree cakes came out. My goodness, how are they out in July? What in the world? Like... This is crazy. And there's a whole end cap of them. And you're like, my, I mean, you got to get two, right? I mean, it is what it is. You might share it with a friend. I don't know. So we see that that's what the enemy does. So today we're going to go and dive into this thing called starving as uh, we're going to learn from a story that I love talking about. Now, I have to be careful here because all the time I say my favorite story. Well, there are a lot of favorite stories in the Bible, but this is one of my favorite stories for real as we dive into this alter ego of starving. We're going to be in Luke 15, and we're going to start in, in uh, verse 11. So if you got your Bible today, go ahead and get to Luke 15. If not, we've got some that are free for the asking. One of the things I love that we do is we partner with a Bible app. So if you have the Bible app, you can go ahead and open that up. Make sure that, that, that you go to that events tab, and you can open up the Vine TV worship experience, and you'll see all the scripture we're going to walk through in ways that we can connect with each other throughout the week. So if you've got your Bible we're going to go straight to Luke 15. One of my, honestly, Luke 15 is one of my favorite chapters of the Bible. It really, really is. That's a great thing. If you don't know anything about Luke, he was a doctor, very, wrote things very, very deeply. He was very concerned. He, he made sure that you had step-by-step step of everything, so that's why I enjoy reading Luke, even though John is my favorite gospel. So Luke 15, starting in verse 11, we're going to go verse 11 and 12 first as we dive into the alter ego of starving. Verse 11, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. Now pay attention to this. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now, we unpacked this a little bit last week before we move on. The reason this is important we talked about it a little bit with Jacob and Esau, and we'll be hanging out with Jacob again next week. The reason it was important that there are two sons and the younger one came up is when you were the firstborn son, you had two things that were important. You got the birthright and the blessing, the firstborn son. You were called to have a birthright and the blessing. And the reason that that mattered is your birthright gave you a double portion of the blessing. And so this younger son is coming up to his father. And so when we see this, we think, man, he wants his share of the estate. He wants this big estate. Believe it or not, his older brother got the double portion. So if there are two of them, we're going to go back to elementary math. And if I get it wrong, you can tell me in the comments. But he gets a double portion. So his older brother got two-thirds of the inheritance. And he got a third. Double portion. So he said, Father, give me my third of the estate now. I want mine now because I can do it better than you can. So give me my third of the estate. The father then divided the property between them. 
Number one, don't mistake growth for maturity. As we dive into this alter ego of starving, you see, we can't mistake growth for maturity. Because see, this young man, I would assume he was an older man. I don't know. We learned a little bit last week about Jacob and Esau and how old they were when they were fighting and, and how old he was when he, he stole the birthright of his brother in his 70s. Mm. Uh, I would imagine this is a young man, and he's going to his dad. And the thing that I want you and I to know is that in Christ, did you know we have an inheritance? Did you know that we have a part of an estate in Christ? Yet so many times we'll trade that part of the estate for something right now. Like, how many of us have ever prayed that? Jesus, I know you want me to do this, and I know you got something great in store for me, but right now I'm just not feeling it, so I just need you to give me this right now. I know I can get caught in that. And the reason that that happens is so many times we mistake growth for maturity. And see, here's the thing about your inheritance in Christ. Nothing can take that away. If you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you only can give it away. And the enemy will do everything he can to make you give that inheritance away. As we're about to learn through this prodigal son how he gave it away, he took his inheritance, what was supposed to be his, and he gave it away. But so many times in our life, we mistake this growth for maturity. How many of us remember that if you were like me, I, I loved playing basketball at lunch, okay, in the tennis courts. That was one of my favorite things in middle school. But do you remember that kid in middle school who just hit their growth spurt first? Does anybody remember that? Especially if you're a boy. I remember sixth grade. I remember I would play basketball in sixth grade, and uh, a couple of the guys hit their growth spurt before me, so they would just dominate basketball. And then I caught up with them in, like, seventh grade, and uh, I'm not great at basketball. Don't even make a thing. But I, I would be able to play some basketball from time to time, but it made me think so many times that continues on in life because we think that somebody who grows is somebody who's mature. Let me say it this way. That person who got the degree and you didn't, we think they're mature because they paid for an expensive piece of paper, right? As a matter of fact, the reason I know that is because it's a requirement for a job that you're more experienced and well-qualified for than that person. But we think because they've got that degree, they're more mature. That person who got the promotion over you, we think that they're more mature even though they've grown. That, that, that person who won the lottery, that person who got those things before you, we think, well, they've grown before us, so they must be mature. As a matter of fact, in our life, what will happen is we mistake even age with maturity, don't we? We think age and wisdom go together. And I'll tell you right now, there are some 60 and 70-year-olds in my life that I know who are teenagers, right? They haven't grown past that. And that's okay. We, we learn through the good work about how we grow in maturity. But the thing I want you to know is don't mistake growth for maturity because sometimes when we're starving, what's in the package looks better in the store than when we get home. You know what I'm saying? And all that we're left with is regret because maybe, maybe we just get stuck thinking, well, this person looks like they've grown. This person talks like they've grown, but they're not really mature enough to understand it. You see, the father understood that in that moment when the young son came to him. And he said, I know you're not mature enough, but I would rather give up a third of all, of I, have, all I have to let you learn this lesson than to fight with you because you won't understand. So many times in our life, that's where we can get there. I, I see it time and time again, and, and even in real estate, there are people that just make like literally hundreds of thousands of dollars in real estate. And they're just as broke as they were when they worked a front cashier job as a teenager at 16. 
because they can't manage money. Some people that way in relationships. We think sometimes just because someone's married, they can give the best married advice, don't we? But sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes we think that sometimes that someone who has the most kids can give the best advice. Now, hear me out. I'm not dashing that. I'm trying to tell you. I've even heard it said to me as a pastor that, and I, I'm not bashing that. I'm going to tell you what I love at the Vine is we have experienced people who have been married a while. We have people who have been in terrible marriages and have, can walk with people who have walking out of that. We have people who have had kids. We have people who are longing to have kids. What I'm trying to tell you is just because someone has the title or has the position doesn't mean that they have the authority, doesn't mean that they have the maturity. Because if you come to me, I can help you in your marriage counseling because I'm just going to tell you this. How's your walk with Jesus? You know how to fix your marriage? Both of you pursue Jesus together, and you'll meet in the middle. I, I mean, there's no question about it. That, I mean, it's, Now, I can get you with married folks who can help you in that season, and that's what I prefer to do. But I'm going to start you there. If you're dealing with a rebellious child, I'm going to ask you how your walk is with Jesus. Because they're going to figure it out on their own. You just have to be Jesus to them at every opportunity you can so that they can see him in a new way. You can't save your child. Only Jesus can. But so many times in our life, the reason I'm getting that and I keep hammering it is I think in the world we live in, we mistake growth for maturity. Prime example, professional sports. How many of these guys are dead broke after making hundreds of millions of dollars over 10 years of their life and you're like, they're 35 years old and dead broke and they've made $300 million. How many of us would like to have $300 million and say, hey, man, just give me a million of that and let me see what I could do? It's because they're not mature enough. Their character couldn't sustain the position of authority that they were given. So when you're walking through this starving mindset, I want you to make sure that you be careful who you listen to. Because when you're starving, everything smells good, don't it? Everything sounds good. Don't mistake someone just because they're older than you, just because they seem like they're where you're supposed to be, that they're mature enough for it. The first person you should always seek for advice is through prayer of, the, of Jesus. Just ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what he would have you do. So number one in this alter ego of starving, when you want to break through that, we can't mistake growth for maturity. So let's go on. Verse 13 says it this way. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. Now, if you got that, I want you to circle that. I want you to highlight that. I want you to think about that. You know, there are times in my life when I would, I would say, God, if I just had one more thing. And this is what he reminded me of as I was preparing this week. You remember when all you had fit under your bed? When you were a kid or all you had fit in the trunk? Hey, maybe you went off to college or the first time you moved out, you remember when it all fit in your car and maybe the mattress was in a, in, a, in a truck somewhere, like in the back of a truck somewhere. And I got to looking around at all that Jesus has blessed me with and I'm like, man, it's going to take more than one U-Haul for all the things that he's blessed me with to get what I need moved if I, you know, when I move. I wonder if that's where the son was and he forgets he got together all he had, not all that was given to him. Not all, the potential he had, not all the potential that was in front of him, not exactly who he was created to be. He got together all he had. So if you're struggling with God saying, I just need this one thing in my life, look at all you got. 
look at all he's given you. Look at how far he's brought you. Because this young man did exactly, I love how Jesus tells this story and how Luke does it. This young, Jesus said all he had, so it tells you he's going somewhere with it. That's what's really cool to me. Uh, but he got together all he had, and he sets off for a distant country outside of the Father's presence. That's what we like to do, don't we? As a matter of fact, that's the world we live in, isn't it? I don't like what you said about me, so I'm going to take my ball, and I'm going to go play in a different sandbox. I'm going to go somewhere else. We treat our Lord and Savior that way more than we want to admit. I will tell you I do that sometimes. Fine, I'll take my ball and go home. I won't pray. Who misses out from that? Me. I miss out on that when I don't pray. You know, sometimes that relationship that's real difficult and you have to fight to stay in, maybe we aren't supposed to be taking our ball and going home to a distant country. Maybe we should just be seeking the Father and saying, what is your will for me in this? doesn't mean that we have to have a connection with that person. It just means we have to be who he created us to be to go forward. So we see that this young man sets off for a distant country and does what we tell all of our kids. He squanders it. He squanders his wealth in wild living. That's what I love about Luke right here. He didn't just squander his wealth on, on rent and groceries. He, he didn't just squander his wealth on, on, on necessities. He didn't just squander his wealth on stewarding something well or, or making a bad investment and the stock market crashed. He spent it on himself. Now remember that shopping cart I talked about earlier? How does that grocery bill look when you go to the, to the grocery store hungry? It's usually ginormous, isn't it? It's usually ridiculously high. Like you blow the budget out of the water when you do that. But what happens oftentimes when we walk away from the presence of the father is what the prodigal son experiences. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the land, in the whole country, excuse me. And he began to be in need. So he went and did the only thing that he knew to do. He went and he hired himself out to be a, to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed the pigs. You know, I wonder if that young man wanted to do that when he grew up. When it was career day back at the old school, maybe they homeschooled then. I'm going to act like they got school. It was career day. I wonder if he said, I want to go feed the pigs, not be a hog farmer, because <laughs> that's got some clout. That's got some growth. That's got some investment. You know, that's got some investment. Pork's a good investment, apparently. It's a commodity these days. But he said, I just want to feed the pigs. I wonder if he brought that slop cart in, you know. Like, I always think of Charlotte's Web when I think of this story, too. You know, I don't know why, but I do, uh, obviously. I wonder if he said that. Pretty sure he didn't. I'm pretty sure the father had something greater in store for him. And yet the thing the father had in store with him, he went and blew it and decided, well, I'm going to hire myself out and I'm going to go feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. No one gave him anything. If you're struggling with this starving mindset, this starving attitude, the second thing I want you to understand today is that starving appetites become empty pods. Our starving appetites become empty pods. You see, I wonder as that young man was trying to long for those pods from those pigs, if he realized I traded a third, I traded my inheritance for this. 
traded all that I was made to be for this? For this? Like for this, to smell like pigs. Has anybody ever been to a pig farm here? It smells wonderful, doesn't it? No. It smells terrible, doesn't it? And then you go see what they eat, and you're looking like, think about that. Mm. Nobody's going to eat hot dogs today because I said that, right? But for real, for real, like you go there and it smells terrible. Well, the reason I want to tell you that these starving appetites become empty pods is I love how Luke weaves this into this story because it's so important. You see, the pods back then are actually beans. Now, has anybody ever picked beans? You know, you pick lima beans, you pick any kind of beans. I remember growing up, my papa had a farm, uh, a small garden. I say a farm, but a small garden. I remember picking beans and okra, and he had corn. I just remember the pricklies from the okra. Uh, he had some watermelons. Uh, I just remember those things growing up. And so I think about this. So it was a bean. And uh, you, what, is a, what does a bean look like? Beans usually in a pod, it's usually shaped like a horn, right? We see because it was shaped like a horn in this time, those pods weren't even given to the animals unless it was the worst of famines possible. And these pods are actually from a certain tree, and that tree is called a carob tree. And these bean-shaped horns, when they came out, the Jews would call them the food of the beast. Because the beast ate them, right? Like the, the swine ate it, right? But think about this for a minute. That's why I love how Jesus tells these stories and how I love how Luke has this here. So at this moment in time, the prodigal son... Even the thing that the beast gives is not will never satisfy him enough. Satan, the beast, the deceiver, everything that he lured him in with is now in a moment that's not enough. He longed to fill his stomach with it, but he didn't. Not even that is enough. And what I want to tell you right now is if you've got a starving appetite, you're probably going to make some bad decisions. So as a Christian... Beware how hungry you are when you walk around. Because if you walk around starving all the time, the things that aren't supposed to get your attention get your attention. David will tell you that. David, David was a man after God's own heart, yet this woman was bathing on a roof that he just happened to be staring at because he had a starving appetite. He was supposed to be a man of war, and instead of doing what God called him to do, he stood out on that roof and he looked up at that woman and he ended up killing her husband after he got her pregnant. Isn't that great? That's a way to go. You can see all throughout when these starving appetites happen, that's where this young man was, is he had a starving appetite. He wanted to see the world, wanted to do it all on his own, and yet all of a sudden, here he is. Everything is dashed. I wonder how many friends he had when he had all that estate. That money was rolling in. Man, he had friends. They spent it with him real good, but now all of a sudden he needs help, and he's got nobody. You see, as Christians, when we walk around hungry, we'll make ourselves settle for that's something that's not God's best for us. The reason this matters is this, if you walk around hungry. Did you know that you can go three weeks without food? Three full weeks. How many of us have ever gone three full weeks without food? We are blessed. Guys, we are so blessed. We get to, how many of us have a cupboard that we go in or a pantry where we pick what we're about to eat for lunch, breakfast, and dinner? I know some of us have been in places in the world where they go kill it, and, and it don't matter. It's whatever's provided. Yet your body can go three weeks without eating and still be okay. 
before it gets to a level that it starts shutting down. You know how long you can go without water? Three days. You know, there's somebody who used to walk this earth that said he was the bread of life and the living water. And that three days matters because, you know, after three days he rose from the grave. And as a Christian, we have to take hold of the living water and drink it all the time and eat from the bread of life every day as we experience Jesus every day. Yet as a Christian, when we walk around hungry, we tell the world that the world will give us something that will satisfy it. And so as we walk around and we're fighting this alter ego, I just want you to know, don't walk around too hungry. Now, I don't get paid for this sponsorship, but there's a great candy bar that has that that says you are not you when you're hungry, right? You get crazy. You know, you, you want to you know if you will when you go out to lunch today, that sweet person from Sunday school, even though we don't have Sunday school, you know that class. You know, we're in joking. You know, they, they just get real mad, and then they say, honey, my, my sugar was low. I'm sorry I was mean, right? right? They just break that poor waitress over the coals and then just talked about Jesus in the next breath and invited them to church and couldn't figure out why. You know why people don't come to church? Because we as Christians walk around starving all the time. And Jesus didn't create us to be starving. Because when you're starving, you look for the quick fix. That's what happened with the prodigal son. He looked for the quick fix. This world will always give you the quick fix. I need milk, but man, there's sodas and snack cakes, all of these things. That'll fill me. Ooh, limited edition. Yes, <laughs> only once a year, right? And we'll fill it. The world does the same thing. That's why folks struggle with addiction. They go for the quick fix. And what ends up happening for one who is addicted? Eventually, there's nothing that can satisfy. And you get to a place where nothing that can satisfy you will satisfy you. When we're starving as Christians, that's what we'll do. As a matter of fact, what we'll also do is we'll just continue to compromise and compromise. Because let me ask you this, those snack cakes that you bought in the store, are you still hungry after you eat them? Most of the time you are, right? They just leave you wanting for more. Believe it or not, the formulation of it is so that you do that. The way that they have it, that's why we love sweets. That's why most people love sweets. The sugar and the carbs actually make you want more. They don't fill you. They're empty. That's why you just have, you just start getting one or two bites, two or three bites. So Christians, we can't walk around starving. We have to hunger and thirst for the word, but not for the things of this world, because it will only leave us empty. You see, I can see myself in the prodigal here, because I can see this is an account of our heart and soul. We start, what happens is when we walk around hungry, we start looking at people to satisfy us, don't we? We start looking at things to satisfy. And what we do is we put the expectation upon people and things to do what only God can do, don't we? We start compromising. If you're in a marriage and you expect your spouse to do what only Jesus can do, I'm telling you it'll fall apart. Because they can't. They can't sustain the weight of that. If you think that, that, that in your marriage that, that having 15 kids will give you and satisfy you the way that a Savior can, they can't. They will let you down every time, and you will, be, you will be so angry, so mad, and so down because you can't figure out. If you think that losing 100 pounds is what's going to bring you happiness, that's great. 
but it can't fill you the way a Savior can. You see, when we walk around, our heart and soul will show how we live. None of us are perfect. None of us have it all together. But if we walk around like this starving, we can relate to the prodigal. Because what happens is, I always think of the prodigal son, and, and this, is, this is bad, so hang in here with me. How many of you remember Urban Cowboy? Right? The prodigal son was looking for love in all the wrong places, right? He was looking for love in too many faces, right? He was looking for that. And everybody else, I'm sorry if you don't know. It's back. It's, it's, it's fine. You, you'll, you'll look it up. YouTube. It's on YouTube, I'm sure. It's back in the 80s. But anyway, that's what we do when we walk around hungry is we look for love in the wrong place. We look for love in things. We look for love in people. And I'm telling you, you can't find it there. The reason that folks walk away from the church and the reason of that is even religion will leave you empty. I was one who followed the darn rules. I was the good kid. I was the one who got it right. Jesus still needs to die for me. Nothing in this world could satisfy. And you know what? He died for all of us. But we can't look for love in the wrong place because that'll leave us hungry for the wrong thing. We need to hunger and thirst for the Lord. That's why maybe, just maybe, I'm going to be real with you. That's why we believe life change happens best in Christian community. We know that nourishment isn't just on Sunday and Thursday. If you were to come here on Sunday uh, and never pick up your Bible the rest of the week, you're probably hungry on Tuesday, aren't you? Especially if you've got a relationship with Jesus. You're hungry for the Word. You're hungry to experience more. What will you start doing if you stop doing that? If you stop diving into the word of God, you'll just start compromising. And what will start ending up happening in your life is Sunday and Thursday are great. They are overflow. They are something that is in addition to what we do and our experience with the Lord and experience loving him. But if we just only experience him those two days, we'll start compromising. Because we'll walk around hungry. We'll walk around thirsting. We'll think the job will satisfy. We think the house, the cars will satisfy. We think all of these things will satisfy. And then what will start happening is we'll start losing grip on our faith. I wonder how many times the prodigal son said, just one more day and I'll clean it up. You know, I've got X amount of dollars to live on and I'll clean it up. <laughs> oh, but it's on sale, <laughs> right? He went and blew it all. You see, when we start losing grip on our faith, or maybe it's just me, when I start losing faith, grip on my faith is when I start saying, I'll never be that person. I'll never have that thing. I'll never be able to do that. And I want to tell you, Jesus died for me not to say that. And when I start living out that, when I start living out that, um, when I start living out that is when I can get stuck and I can think that maybe, just maybe, this world can satisfy and do something that only Jesus can. So when I start compromising my faith, I start settling for something that's less than God's best. How many folks have been there? I'm getting married because my friend's getting married. Everybody else, all my friends are getting married, so I better get married. And then all of a sudden, 10 years down the road, you think, well, I'm not good enough to get married, so I'm going to compromise my love and God's best for me and just settle with this person.
and not live the way God's called me to live. And then we get into the marriage and we start seeing that it's two broken people coming together, not two people who's got it all together. And we see that each other can't satisfy, that Jesus has to be that third cord, that we have to, we have to pursue him, and it falls apart and we can't figure out why. And eight marriages down, I mean, I know I'm working on number nine. I, tough though. Anyway, like eight marriages down, we can't figure it out. We say the same thing in everything we do. So I just want to challenge you to understand, don't walk around starving. Jesus will sustain you. Jesus is the only thing that can satisfy. Jesus is the only thing that will, he said he's the bread of life. He's the living. He's the only thing that will give you what you need. He will provide for you so that he can, you can be exactly what he created you to be. But don't get ahead of him either. Because when you get ahead of him is when you like the prodigal. And you say, Jesus, you've called me to this big thing. I want it now. I mean, he'd been stuck with that. That's me. And I know he laughs. I know he laughs at me. I know he does. Not in a bad way. He was just like, son, you're not ready. <laughs> you're not ready. But I am. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play, right? No, son, you're not. you got to grow. You can't walk around starving like this. So how does this story go on? Verse 17. <clears throat> when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. You know, I will tell you, there's always a moment in our life, you may not be there now, where you realize your parents had the best of intentions for you, and maybe, just maybe, they were right on some things. Not saying they were perfect, but maybe, just maybe, they were right. Maybe, just maybe, you weren't ready for that thing, and they told you, and it made you mad, and you stormed off and said, I know I'm ready. And even after the failure, your pride got a hold of you and said, I can't talk to them. I can't reconcile this. I can't make it better because then I got to admit that I was wrong. Anybody been there? Stuck there? Okay. We got a lot of angels in here. Praise God. <laughs> Glad Jesus is in the room. So I know I've been there. And I will tell you, if you haven't been at that moment with your parents, I'm going to tell you they're not perfect. You can want the best for them. You may not have had the perfect parents. But there comes a moment when you realize they did the best they could with what they were given. Because there's no training manual for to raise a baby, is there? There's no, there's the baby doesn't come out with a book and instruction manual and give it to you and tell you what to do. Like there's nothing you can download to get that. Yet that's where this prodigal son is. He got up, he goes to his father, and and my favorite part of the story, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him. Did you know you're never too far gone for God to come to you? You see, many times don't we think that we have to meet God in the middle? But it's so much more than that. God's already right there waiting on you to hug you, to kiss you. When you just turn to him, I imagine it says he was a far way off. Can you imagine this prodigal son literally as walking up the road? Do you think his clothes look nice? After he squandered his living, when he was in need, he was in rags. He was probably barefoot. Didn't even look the same. 
he, he, he might even look like a zombie. But instead of the father trying to load up the shotguns, instead he ran to him and he hugged him and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his, <clears throat> said to his servants, quick. I love that. Not wait, not delay, not let's get some invitations sent out to everybody so that we can have a celebration. He says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He is lost and is found, or he was lost and is now found. So they began to celebrate. If you're struggling with a starving appetite today, number three is come to your senses to come home. Come to your senses to come home. You see, that was the turning point for this prodigal. He came to his senses, and his father went, believe it or not, at the time. If you have a reference in your Bible when you got there, uh, you may or may not. Sometimes they, they'll give you that. I know some versions have it, some versions don't. But the reason that this mattered so much is in Deuteronomy 21, you can go read it. It gave all the qualifications of the birthright and the blessing. Round about verse 17 and 18, it says what you're supposed to do with a rebellious son. It even goes on in Leviticus 20 verse 9 to say it. And so I'm not going to get there for you, but I'm going to tell you what it is. Read it on your own time. It's a great great to see how much this story ties into it but what was supposed to happen is if you had a rebellious son the mother and father was supposed to discipline him first then if he chose not to be disciplined but instead continued to rebel the mother and father was supposed to bring the son to the town elders and they were to bring him outside the city gate and they were to stone him how many of us would have survived our teenage years I know I wouldn't have. <laughs> I don't even think I was 13, I wouldn't have survived. They're supposed to stone him. See, the father goes out to meet the son to say, you're not stoning him. You've got to get through me if you want to stone him. He wraps his arms around him. He kisses him, which is a sign of restoration. Is, do you remember mom's kisses? Like, seriously, do you remember how important those were? Like, they could fix anything, couldn't they? You literally could have your foot cut off or your arm cut off and be gushing blood. Mom kissed it when you were a kid. You're fine. It's fine. You were good. Dad's saying it's fine. You know, just put a Band-Aid on it. Mom's even telling you to go to the hospital, and she's kissing you in it. But it just feels so good. Like, there's a peace in a kiss. That's what the father is doing to the son. He is restoring this peace to him. The reason that he said bring the best robe is, I don't know if you know this, in Jewish culture, the best robe represented praise. It represented praise. In Jewish culture, it was called a garment of praise. That's why when we grew up in church, the choir wore robes. Not so that they could have fans and get hot or hide their Sunday best. They wore robes because it was meant to be a garment of praise. So this young son who has tattered clothes, who's literally naked, now all of a sudden the father says, put the best robe on him because we got something to celebrate. Then he says, put a ring on his hand. More than likely that ring went on the right hand which is the sign of authority the father is telling the son because you have come back to me you now have the authority to step in to be what you were created to be so put a ring on it not Beyonce put a ring on it a real ring on it the right hand you have authority put the ring on it he then says put sandals on his feet 
Do you think that boy had sandals when he left? Man, he probably had the best shoes on. He put sandals on his feet to say, now you are preparing yourself to go out to do the good work I created you to do. That's what that whole series was about, putting that on. But you see what we can't miss is he said, bring the fatted calf. You see, for the full restoration of the son to the father, there had to be a sacrifice. And many times that's where we can get caught up. As we think that we have to make the sacrifice, don't we? We think that we have to have it all together to get to the father. We think that we have to clean ourselves up. We think that we have to provide the sacrifice. But see, that's not how this works. That's not how our creator works. That's not how our father works. He loves us enough that he prepared a sacrifice for us so that there could be celebration and restoration because all of us are born just like the prodigal in a distant country. It goes back to the garden where we started in rebellion. We thought that we had a better plan than God did. So what ended up happening is Adam and Eve in their sin had us born in rebellion. And because of that, we're distant from the Father. As a matter of fact, so distant that there had to be a sacrifice that had to be made for us to be restored to the Father. And he loved us enough that he sent his son to fulfill that Deuteronomy 21 law I told you to read, to, to do the, live the perfect life, do all the right things, and not only do all the right things, show us how we can live. But then he sacrificed himself for our sins by dying on the cross. He paid for it. Paid for it. But you see, he still wasn't done. He loved us enough he wasn't, that he didn't stay dead. He gave us the authority of the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised him from the dead. He left to us to walk in being who he created us to be. The thing is, all we have to do is accept, confess, repent. We just have to receive this sacrifice that has been made. And so maybe you're a Christian and this is reminding you of the sacrifice that Jesus has made. You know, the thing that resonated with me the most in this story was remembering that the, little, the, the prodigal son got together all he had. And I looked at all I've been able to be blessed to, to be a part of, and I said, man, I'm a blessed man. If I got together all I had, it'd take people backing it all up. Ain't God good? Maybe right now you're realizing and you're coming to your senses that You've decided to be starving in this world and chase everything in this world and think this world can satisfy, this world can fill the gap. That's where the prodigal was. He thought the world could fill the gap. He thought the thing his father couldn't give him was something the world could satisfy. And I'm going to tell you, you'll never find it. You'll never find it in this world. Those zeros before that decimal in that bank account, it won't satisfy some of the most unhappy people in the world are the ones who can't even count the money they have because they have so much. That drug, that relationship, that addiction, that thing, it'll never satisfy. There's only one thing that can satisfy. That's going back to the Father and saying, I know who I am. I'm the one who chose to rebel against you. And because you love me enough, you have saved me from the stoning. You have saved me from death. And so I'm coming to you to be exactly who you created me to be. So right now, that's where I'm going to put in front of you. Have you ever come to your senses? So with every head bowed and every eye closed, 
we do it this way every week for a purpose because right now I believe within the sound of my voice, whether you're watching online or listening throughout the week, prodigal sons and daughters are, are realizing and coming to their senses that they've never had a relationship with a father. They've tried to fill the relationship with the father with so much more than what he died to give us. And Jesus said it this way in John 5. I love it. He says this, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and he will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. You see, all we have to do is believe that Jesus is who he says he is. All we have to do is know that it's him alone that can give us life. It's him alone that can save us from death. And all we got to do is receive it. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, we're about to say a prayer. And it's not the words of this prayer that saves you. It's the faith that Jesus is who he says he is. What we're going to be talking through in this prayer is we're saying just like the prodigal did. I know that I'm a sinner separated from you, God. And I know that because of that, a sacrifice had to be made. And I believe that that sacrifice was Jesus Christ. And I believe that him alone, I can have eternal life. Otherwise, I'm sentenced to death. And then we're going to ask Jesus to lead us the way that we should go the rest of our lives. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask you to repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I believe I'm a sinner separated from you. I believe you came lived the life I couldn't live, died the death I deserve on the cross, but loved me enough not to stay dead, but rose again so that I may have life. Come take over my life. Teach me to follow you step by step the rest of my life the best way I know how. And right now, I'm just going to ask if for the first time you can say that you have ever given your life to the Lord. You have come to your senses today and you are going to be welcomed home because you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I'm going to count to three and I'm going to ask you to respond. One, two, three. If that's you, this is your moment. There's going to be a hand that's raised online. If you're listening on Facebook, you can comment. If you're listening throughout the week, you can shoot us an email at prayer at divine.tv. You can shoot us a text message or a phone call at 864-580-6698 because I want to tell you there are people here that want to celebrate with you. There are angels in heaven that are celebrating. There are people that want to welcome you home. So I'm going to tell you, don't let this day pass without telling someone. If that's you today, I'm going to ask you to please respond. And for everyone else, I'm about to pray and we're going to get ready for worship. And I'm just going to ask in this moment that we be reminded who Jesus is for us. That we be reminded that we have a home to go to. That Jesus said, in my, in my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that there is a place prepared for us. And that we get to live out this life exactly who he created us to be. And that our mission is is to point others to him to let them know that there's a room in heaven for them if they'll just receive him and believe he is who he says he is. So dear Jesus, thank you again for this day. Thank you that we get to do this. Thank you that we get to live here and we get to lift your name high. Jesus, thank you for dying for us. Thank you for showing us the ways. Thank you for allowing us to be in a time such as this. A time where it could be really easy for us to think that the things of this world would satisfy. A time where it would be really easy to think that religion can satisfy. But Jesus, we know that you alone are the bread of life. You alone 
are the thing that we hunger and thirst for. You are the living water. So Jesus, I pray as we go out into the world that we wouldn't be starving for the things of this world, but instead we would share you with the world. Because as we share you, we point them to you and show that you alone can satisfy. So Jesus, remind us of that in this moment. Thank you for blessing us more than we could ever ask or imagine as we look around, Jesus. Maybe we've got a starving attitude thinking we don't have enough. But Jesus, with you, we have more than enough. We love you, Lord. We thank you. It's in your name we pray and for your glory.
All right. How about that? How about worship today? Hey, as uh, we get ready to to wrap it up uh, here today, I just want to invite you to next week as we talk about going nowhere. Does anybody ever feel like they're going nowhere? I feel like a hamster on a treadmill, not a fast treadmill. Somebody else is probably running on it, but it's okay. So if you know somebody who is struggling or walking through that, please get them here next week. We would love, love, love to talk through them. And hey, I would be crazy to say that maybe today something talked to you. Maybe you realize you're starving for something you shouldn't be starving for. And uh, you need to talk to somebody today. Reach out to us at prayer at divine.tv or shoot us a text or email at... Uh, 864-580-6698. So you know how we do it every week. Let's lock it up and pray. And I have someone special here that's going to pray with us. Zach is going to lead us in prayer here at the end. And I'm just so thankful for this generation of students that Jesus has blessed us with here at the Vine. And I'm so thankful to see him do what only he can do. So Zach is about to lead us in prayer. So y'all get ready. Y'all lock it up. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful day we've had today and our worship that Tyler has brought with our message. And let us go forth in our week and use all the tools that he has provided us with to help um, and use your name to help us get along. Thank you for everything you've done for us and for all things that you may have go in your week. We pray for all of you. Thank you for having a part of this family that we could come here every Sunday and worship your name and have Tyler lead us in prayer.